0: Hello, this is Spark My Muse, and I'm your host, Lisa DeLay. Today is Soul School Lesson 190, Falling in Love with Truth During Dark Times. Today, I'm going to feature one of Dr. Wendy Farley's reflections that was written on December 4, 2020. It was an article originally published in the Fall 2020 edition of Insights, the Faculty Journal of Austin Seminary. Before I begin that, I want to take care of three quick housekeeping details. If you missed the Invagrius Ponticus class that I taught on May 5th, this is available for free replay. Go to sparkmymuse.com and go to the events page, and there you will find a link to watch that. Evagrius Ponticus features prominently in my book, The Wild Land Within, and it is his desert spirituality, that forms the basis of what I term the weather fronts and weather systems within our inner world. This is a kind of holistic view of temptations and sin that doesn't rely on the crime and punishment influences of the Roman Empire on Christianity in the West. Evagrius teaches us that we are not our thoughts. We have thoughts that come and go, And we can be prepared for these thoughts and use spiritual disciplines to keep our attention focused on God and not the temptations, thought ruts, or logismoi that can take us down paths of damage, destruction, or sin. I also want to mention that in May 2021, there is a gift pack available for anybody who would like one, who got my book and would like a book plate, a signed book plate customized to you, and mailed to you with some bookmarks and some other goodies. If you would like this gift pack, all you have to do is support at $5 a month or more, and you go to patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse to support my work. It still costs out of pocket for me to produce Spark My Muse, and listener support is crucial to it continuing. So that gift pack is yours as you become a supporter of the show. I also ask that if you have read my book, That you would please write a review so other people can find it whether that's on amazon or goodreads.com i certainly would appreciate it thank you dr wendy farley is the rice family chair of spirituality at san francisco theological seminary part of the graduate school of theology at redlands university in this capacity she is the director of programs in christian spirituality and director of programs in the art of spiritual direction she is a professor emerita from Emory University, where she taught in the college for 28 years and chaired theological studies in the doctoral program for more than two decades. She is an author of several books of theology and wisdom and is a celebrated speaker and teacher. She also came on the podcast previously in our episode 95 about three medieval mystic women and her book related to that. If you'd like to hear more about Wendy, Go to wendyfarley.org or go to sparkmymuse.com and check out our conversation from several years ago. Currently, I'm reading Wendy's book called The Wounding and Healing of Desire Weaving Heaven and Earth. She's a very wise teacher, and I get a lot from her work. Today, I'm going to be reading a reflection that I found on her website in the Reflections area. It's called Becoming Children of Light, Falling in love with truth during dark times. Wendy writes, Friends, I write as the thin veneer masking white racism is being torn off, as our cities burn with the rage and grief of justice endlessly denied. I do not know who will read this essay, but I am directing it to fellow white people who harbor racism even as we're caught up in it. Soon enough, other news stories. Other crises will dominate headlines, but we will remain enmeshed in pervasive racist institutions that will demand our attention for a long time. Many progressive churches have denounced racism, but the work of servicing preconscious images and assumptions will be ongoing. Our unwilling complicity invites reflection on how racism embeds itself in our minds and our social structures. A crucial part of this picture is the ability of racist logic to mask itself. The philosopher Hannah Arendt argued that dark times are made possible in part by assaults on truth that render public atrocity morally invisible. Herself, a refugee from Nazi terror, she writes, All this was real enough as it took place in public. There was nothing secret or mysterious about it, and still... It was by no means visible to all, nor was it at all easy to perceive it, for until the very moment when catastrophe overtook everything and everybody, it was covered up not by realities, but by the highly efficient talk and double talk of nearly all official leaders. When we think of dark times, we have to take this camouflage also into account. Wendy writes, Even as racism is displayed with enormous clarity every day, mass deception has been horrifyingly successful in concealing from public discourse the persistence, scope, and barbarism of the American color code. African Americans are beaten and killed, arrested and imprisoned at a much higher rate than any other demographic in this country. Their health outcomes, including infant, and maternal mortality are worse, regardless of their profession or income. College students weighed down by negative stereotypes find it difficult to perform at their intellectual level. These facts are easily available. A 10-second Google search produces pertinent articles and books from the CDC, National Institutes of Health, and innumerable scholarly sources. As we confront this information, we might sympathize with Rachel Carson's awakening to the massive ecological degradation. Quote, Some of the thoughts that came were so unattractive to me that I rejected them completely, for the old ideas die hard, especially when they are emotionally as well as intellectually dear to one. Like Carson, we must locate, quote, an island of difficult, life-saving truth, Amid the ocean of civilizational delusion. Why is it so easy to believe lies, to acquiesce to systems that destroy countless lives? The demonic is an old symbol for the structural delusions that infect society. Satan is a murderer and liar, but also the ruler of the world. This ancient mythology is potent because it gives shape. To the obfuscating mystery of how easily we as individuals people of faith citizens who want to be good are seduced by it the demonic symbolizes the power of patriotic ideals and the supposed nobility of christian mission to conceal the atrocities built into our nation's history and the conduct of our churches once we normalize evil with plausible sounding rationalizations. We disassociate it from our ethical categories. We are horrified, for instance, to hear of a teenager being stalked and murdered as he walked along talking to his girlfriend on the phone. But racist assumptions are built into our thinking. In the case of Trayvon Martin's murder, we reconstruct the narrative he was likely a criminal. Black teenagers can be frightening. Even a slight teenager facing an armed adult is threatening self-defense is a natural response. The plain atrocity of gunning down a high school student armed with only a pack of Skittles becomes invisible, masked behind radically biased newspaper accounts, justice systems, and a thousand media images of dangerous and criminal black people. This is how the demonic works. It does not scare us with hidden face and horns, it slides into the seemingly natural, preconscious assumptions we make. It turns our automatic trust of whiteness and anxiety about blackness into unreflective willingness to accept as sensible an array of laws, anecdotes, and explanations which, upon careful reflection, are obviously racist. It is uncomfortable and personally demanding. To see the way racism has infected our minds. So we accept prefabricated depictions that translate moral outrage into further evidence of black criminality. Unconscious but potent consent to this lie fuels a quick descent into a twisted acceptance of violence. But if by virtue of being black someone is a criminal, however trivial the crime, It is natural to stop them, however egregious the force. Events that would be inconceivable if the victim were white become commonplace when the victim is black. Racism infects religion as it does the rest of society. During the recent protests against racism, Donald Trump called on the military to clear a path Through peaceful protesters with rubber bullets and tear gas, so he could process across a street for a photo op holding aloft a Bible in front of St. John's Church. It was an almost perfect ritualizing of the demonic. Trump's symbolic gesture reaffirmed America's long held allegiance to the sacred worth of domination. Church and scripture perfume authoritarian violence. The Bishop of Washington, D.C. condemned this act, and for many, it was deeply disturbing. But many white evangelicals applauded it, celebrating Trump as, quote, wearing the armor of God, unquote. Their praise ratifies the demonic appropriation of religion, mirroring the way religion and racist violence have braided together in an unholy love knot for centuries. As noted womanist theologian Karen Baker Fletcher observes, In the presence of extreme violence, faith is sorely tested. When faith survives and thrives to the point of being a source of healing for others, it manifests as a form of courage. But how does one attain this courage in a world of violated relationships. If the courage to confront the complexities of existence in its beauty and its ugliness is found in the dance, pulse, touch, heart, and breath of God, then who is God? The demonic entices us into thinking God lives in white churches, far from the tangle of injustice, poverty, and the quote, new Jim Crow. But the gospel calls us to adore the God who created the world, Who is present in its beauty and tragedy, and who cherishes everyone in it? Metanoia, Christ calls out to us Wake up, open your eyes, the kingdom of God is already among you. The gospel invites us to renounce demonic lies and to experience reality in a completely different way. This is not forgiveness or remorse, but becoming aware that heaven is already present whenever we practice Christ's dwelling in one another. If the demonic pushes our black siblings out of the circle of this command, the gospel demands that we awaken to the sacred worth of those whose humanity and suffering we have been blind to. The joy of the gospel will be born in us when we pierce the veil of consoling fictions and recognize the beauty of those who stand before us. Even when these black and brown faces are, quote, despised and rejected by men, full of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That was a long quote from Karen Baker Fletcher. Back to Wendy We are vulnerable to the demonic when emotionally satisfying lies integrate themselves into our sacred precincts. But as Christians, we have the resources for resisting white supremacist powers and principalities. When we renounce our delusions, we rejoin our beloved in the long work of unsentimental, urgently concrete love. We seek mercy not only at the end of times, but commit ourselves to live lives of radical compassion for all beings and for all the earth itself in the midst of time. Maya Angelou wrote of the caged bird who sang for a freedom it had never seen and yet longed for. She is speaking of Black Americans' unfathomable courage to envision freedom in the midst of spiritual and literal incarceration. But cannot those of us who are imprisoned by self-deception and mutilated by the distortions of privilege also long for freedom? Freedom to join the lament for the relentless assaults on black bodies, on trans bodies, female bodies, immigrant bodies, poor bodies? Freedom to discover the innumerable contributions to science, medicine, art, literature, education, religion, and political reform that we benefit from? Freedom to reevaluate the past and join the labor for a different future? The world is structured by the demonic by deception and lies, domination and violence. As Christians, we must remain alert for the ways in which the demonic infiltrates our churches and our faith. I long for racial reconciliation and have experienced communities where this seems possible, but it is early to demand reconciliation. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Rather, we can allow ourselves to be taught, not only by a history we have denied and repressed, but by the spiritual wisdom that our Black siblings have gained through their intimate walk with Jesus during their long crucifixion. Let us listen to Black leaders. Let us learn from the rage of protesters. Let us apprentice ourselves to the great civil rights mothers, such as Rosemary Freeney Harding, who invokes her maternal ancestors to, quote, teach about how to be family, how to live like family, how to live with some strength and care in your hands, how to live with some joy in your mouth, how to put your hands gentle on where the wound is and draw out the grief, how to urge some kind of mercy into the shock-stained earth so that good will grow. I pray that we are at a turning point. But it will be so only if we outwit the demonic in our churches, politics, newspapers, schools, minds, and hearts. Let us be children of light, not because we walk in the light, but because we desire the light of truth and justice and are willing to dedicate ourselves to this desire. And that was Wendy Farley from wendyfarley.org, on her reflections page, this article is called Becoming Children of the Light, Falling in Love with Truth During Dark Times. It was originally published in the fall 2020 edition of Insights, the Faculty Journal of Austin Seminary. There's a lot to this article and it's worth it to listen to it again or read it for yourself. I will have a link provided in the show notes for this episode, as well as on the episode page on sparkmymuse.com. Her underscoring of the demonic and how it works in our world and how it poisons our mind is very potent and very serious here. Just a few days ago, a pamphlet came to our home, and it spoke with such disgust about critical race theory, tarring people who speak about critical race theory as Marxists, as communists, as people who want to ruin life as we know it. And it grieved me deeply. One of the reasons it grieved me so deeply is because the people who benefit from white-centeredness or white supremacy don't suffer enough to notice the suffering of people unlike them. And so brown and black bodies who are protesting or who are asking for things to change are painted out very quickly to be opponents troublemakers or evil and this is the demonic of which wendy farley speaks i want us to listen to our black and brown siblings listen to their cries longing for freedom and justice listen to their cries of anguish and come to the rescue but not with solutions that we impose upon them, but rather come to the rescue with a deep and abiding empathy and the fortitude to stand against and root out the demonic within our systems and our churches and our hearts that quickly seduces us with lies and delusions that protect the powerful and continue to oppress those in need our efforts to make a more just world will continue our whole lives long. And so this isn't a sprint or a one-time march or protest or a time to speak out briefly. It is a time to find the resolve and the sustenance we need so that every day we push back the demonic in our systems. We push back the demonic in our churches. We push back the demonic in our own lives that's hidden and camouflaged that we cannot see but that erodes the humanity of our brown and black siblings that erodes their cries for mercy and assistance let us make sure we are walking in the light where truth can be plainly seen and where those in need are understood heard and protected I thank you very much for listening to this rather serious soul school lesson. I have reached a limit of frustration with the dominant culture continuing to demonize those who are not dominant in culture, as if their voices, as if their experiences are not valid or are exaggerated. And I'm tired of my white siblings turning a blind eye, except for when it's convenient for them to the pain, the injustice, and the inhumane treatment of black and brown bodies. The first thing we must do is begin to realize in a humble way that we do not understand the experience of people who don't look like us. At that point of humility and that admission, we may begin to hear and see more clearly. But since it's not possible to walk in the shoes of a brown or black person when you are a white person. The best you can do is humbly listen and be taught. Thank you to my brown and black siblings who've been so gracious with me, who've been so helpful to me, and so patient. And to my white siblings, there aren't enough people working to make things right. If this episode has touched you in some way, I ask that you would share it broadly with others. And I ask that you would support my work at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse. May God bless us. I'll see you next week.